Good morning, everybody. As Pastor Mark said, uh, my name is David, and i um, excited to be able to share with you all this morning. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, thank you for the hospitality. It's been nice and comfortable in here since I got here. So that's always a blessing to come to a place that's friendly and, and open and welcoming. So so bring greetings from Progressive Church in Stockton. Uh, I served there as the youth pastor, student ministries pastor, and uh, I've been knowing Pastor Mark most of my life uh, together at St. Paul. So it's good to be able to come return the favor for once. All right. All right. My wife is here with me. She don't want to stand up, whatever. All right. She, she's in the blue. <laughs> we have two daughters. We didn't bring them, no, because I wanted to be able to preach in peace. <laughs> they're, uh, they're three and one. So, so there you guys, you guys know. All right. All right. <laughs> and then my, I got my grandma, my aunt, my, my sister, and my brother. So I appreciate you guys coming out. Uh, it's, it's a blessing, man, to have supported the family, my cousins, you know. Uh, everybody. All right. Uh, Pastor Mark said I only have an hour to preach, so <laughs> I better get started before my time runs out. You guys laughing? Well, I can't preach for an hour. Thank you. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time together. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Uh, help us to share it in its entirety, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just be with me. Guide my tongue, Lord, and minister to your church. Uh, you know what they need, so Lord, use me to help give it. Uh, just bless our time together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. So, it's a blessing to be able to witness y'all baby getting dedicated today, man. Um, and it really reminded me of what we're about to talk about today. Because when you have a baby, as most of you guys with kids know, your whole life changed. And um, your, life, your life starts to be about that child. And so me, I'm a, I'm a sentimental person, if you guys can't tell. I mean, I get, get emotional, you know what I mean? So I, got, I have two daughters, and so my little babies, man, they're precious. Um, they're just some beautiful, beautiful girls. And so sometimes at night, I'll walk by the crib. I'm just looking at them, man. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Like, I can't believe you gave me these kids. And then I get to praying for them. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to bless them, to guide them, to, to be with them. And I have all these hopes and dreams for my daughters. And I can't help but go to the Lord with those. And so any good parent, has those, those hopes, those desires, uh, those plans for their children. And a really good parent doesn't just leave it with hoping and praying and wishing. They do everything they can to help that child um, be everything that they know that they can be. You know what I'm saying? So it really got me thinking about God because I'm God's child, right? And, and you guys are God's children also. So he must have some hopes and, and dreams and desires for us, too. Yeah. 
And it's like whatever God hopes, dreams, and desires for you, he's going to help you accomplish it. He's going to help you achieve it. So for us, uh, our main job as believers is to find out what God wants from us and dedicate our lives to doing just that. And so I have my grandma here today, and she just hit 80. One thing, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And one thing I love about my grandma, you don't ever have to guess how she's feeling. She's gonna tell you. And one thing that she's been saying lately that I'll be cracking up, she said, David, I'm too old to be dealing with mess. So I'm about to tell you what I feel, what I think, right? And so when people get older or when people are approaching death, Whatever is most important to them is what they're about to tell you. They're, about to, they're going to leave this earth soon. So they are going to tell you what they want you to hear. And this is a blessing. Jesus did the same thing. Okay, so in our scripture for today, in John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus is getting ready to go die. Um, this is his last prayer before Judas betrays him in the garden. And he has a lot of things he needs to get off his chest. And the main thing that Jesus does in this high priestly prayer is he's asking, he's going to his father on behalf of believers to set them up to be able to live out his desires for them. And so Jesus shares his heart through this prayer for believers. In this prayer, Jesus is letting us know what he wants for us. What are his hopes? What are his desires for all believers to come? And this is what it is. So uh, verse 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. He's talking about you and me. We are the products of the preaching of the apostles, right? Of the disciples. 2,000 years later, the message is still being preached, and now we believe, okay? So he's praying for us, you and me. Verse 21, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So, for believers, God's goal for us is for us to be unified. All the things Jesus could have prayed for, he could have prayed that we never get sick, he could have prayed that we always hit the Powerball, right? He, he, he could have prayed that we would just live in perfect peace, have no problems, but instead he prays for us to be unified. Now you would think Jesus wouldn't have to pray about this. You're saved, I'm saved, we're on the same team. Jesus loved everybody, right? Jesus was real, Jesus was open, Jesus was honest. So you would think his believers, his disciples, we're going about being the exact same way. 
a lot of people in here are shaking their head like, nah, brother, that ain't been my experience. <laughs> it hasn't been mine either, right? So it explains why Jesus had to pray about this. It explains why Jesus had to go to the miracle worker, to his father in heaven, to see if we could do it, right? Because he says, I want them to be unified, but why? And in this passage, it gives us three reasons why he wants the church, why he wants you and I to be unified, all right? And the first reason he wants us to be unified is so that we could be like him. Jesus, he's a good role model. He's somebody we should, we should want to be like. But this is what he says. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me and through their word, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. There is an intimacy, there's a relationship between Christ and his Father and the Holy Spirit that is so good, that is so beautiful, that is so a necessary that he invites us to come and be a part of that. So when, when God saves us, it's not just for us to go to heaven, it's for us to come and be a part of this union. That's why Christ calls us his bride. He calls us his body. We have been built up together right in his body. And so, and so Jesus is saying, it's not just salvation that I came here for. What I came here for is to begin a new entity called the church. And, and my church is going to be the blessing that the world needs. However, before we can be a blessing to the world, we have to be a blessing to each other. So when Jesus is preaching, when he's praying this prayer at the beginning of chapter 17, he says, Father, I'm not praying for the world. Read this in black and white. He says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for my followers. I'm praying for my disciples. Why? Because we are the tool that is going to continue the work that Jesus starts. It's, it's kind of like um, with my kids. I'm not going to get a million dollars and just put it in their bank account. It's crazy. What is a three-year-old going to do with a million dollars? Even when they get 16. I'm not giving them that kind of, for what? It's crazy. They're, they're, gonna, they're probably going to destroy themselves, no matter how mature they are. But what am I going to do? Every day, I'm going to train my daughters to become the type of women that can handle these kinds of things, right? I'm going to pour my blood, sweat, and tears into my babies so that they can handle the different pressures and blessings of life when they come because I know that it's coming, right? In the same way, why would Jesus spend his time trying to get worldly people to live a Christian life? Why would Jesus spend his time with people who don't know him trying to tell them to live like he lived? It's crazy. But instead, what is he going to do? I'm entrusting my teachings. I'm entrusting my blessings. I'm entrusting everything that I've done into my church, into you and I. And so this kind of changes 
the perspective that we should have as believers because unfortunately, because of the world we live in, we have become hyper-individualistic. The way we feel to the world is about me, myself, and I. How is this going to affect me, right? If uh, people energy off, I ain't going over there, right? If, if it's not good vibes, I don't want to be a part of it. If people don't, if this church don't got all their stuff together, if the music isn't good, if the preacher ain't preaching like I want him to, if the children's ministry ain't, I ain't going there. Why? Because it's about me. And I don't blame Christians for being like that. You know why? Most of the way we were evangelized to was just about us. I know that's how I got to say, do you want to go to hell? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to go to hell, right? So what do you need to do? Accept Jesus as, as your personal Lord and Savior. And now going forward, hey, I got it right with Jesus. I'm going to heaven. What else do I need to do? I'm good to go. I'm secure. My soul is anchored, as the song says, right? But what is Jesus saying? It's not enough. Getting saved is just the beginning. Why? Because his desire is for us to be one in the same way he and his father are one. And the way that Jesus and his father are one that's modeled on this earth in, in his word is that they work seamlessly together to bring sinful men back to, to themselves. The father's glory that was seen all throughout the Old Testament. He says, you know what, son? I'm sending you now, I'm gonna back up. So that the glory no longer is directed straight at me, it's gonna be directed at you. I'm gonna use you to be the tool to bring men back to me and they're gonna glorify you because of that. And then Jesus says, thanks pops, but I'm gonna do you one better, I'm gonna leave too. And I'm going to send him the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him the paraclete. He's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit that sinful people come back to me. And they should glorify the Holy Spirit for that. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're working together, sharing each other's glory, and making the impossible possible because of their union, because of their unity. And then he looks at his church and he says, you guys are going to do the same. God's plan to save the world goes directly through us. God's plan to reach the city of Sacramento, to reach Oak Park, goes directly through you all. And they're not going to come in here looking at the music, at the pastor. They're going to come in here looking at how well do they love each other. Is this God they're talking about real? And how they judge if God is real or not is based upon how we treat each other. If the love of Jesus is really what you guys say it is, you should be able to love each other. If God really has a heart and really has passion for each and every one of you, he came and did a work on your soul, now you should be different. 
And the big difference should be my life is no longer just about me. It's about this family that Jesus rescued me to be a part of. And so it sounds good and everything like that, but then it's like, I trust Jesus. It's just them people I don't trust. I don't have no problem believing the words of Jesus Christ, but it's these people that I got a problem trusting in and believing. And one of the main things that hinders us from being one with each other in the way that, that God is one with himself is this, we never really get to know each other. And when you don't know a person, it's easy to think they're not on your level. It's, it's easy to judge them by their outside appearance. He must be this or she must be that. How can I love you? How can I lay down my life for you and I only see you at church on Sundays and it's high and by? You don't even step back to have free coffee with them. Right? So the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges that we face in our society as far as being a part of the church is allowing ourselves to be known and to know other people. Because relationships are messy. Churches are messy. But you messy. <laughs> The church wouldn't be messy if you wasn't here. The church wouldn't be messy if I wasn't here. So, so what do we need to do? Well, Romans 12 tells us to renew our minds by God's word. What does renewing our minds help us with? It helps us to see ourselves the way God sees us. That's why God can pray that we would be one. Think about this. If you go to a class, if you go to the nursery right now, what are you going to expect to see? Chaos. Because that's what little kids do. You don't get mad at a little kid that they made a mess. Well, you could, but you know what I mean. You're delusional. You know what I mean? So you, you could get mad at them, but why? It's like they're little kids. God sees us the same way. He knows you're a drug addict. He know you a sex addict. He know you ain't paid child support. He know you abandon your kids, right? He know you a gossiper. He know you a glutton. And he says, I'm still sticking all of them together. Why? Because by his power, we could be one. Individual effort is not going to do it. The only thing that's going to make us turn into one is the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You know God is giving you that power because it's his will. It's God's will that you and I get along. It's God's will that you and I are there for each other. It's, God, it's God's will that we provide for each other, that we meet needs in, within the church first. How can we have outreach ministries, feeding the homeless, and we have people hungry in our own congregations? It makes no sense, but... We have to renew our mind. So if you broke and you're a part of a church, tell somebody. Why should you tell somebody? Not because you want a free handout. Somebody may have a job hookup. 
Somebody may have a food hookup. Somebody may have a financial planning hookup. You might make enough money, you just mismanage it all the time, right? But the conviction in our minds needs to be this. Everything we need is in this church. Everything we need, God has provided. And it's not from manna from heaven no more. God is like, why do I need to make it rain manna when I got my people? My people who I provide for every month are my hands and feet so they can be a blessing to each other. But if we don't take off the mask, if we don't become vulnerable, the blessing God has for you will never be actualized. God has so much for his people. But because we don't humble ourselves and tell the truth, we don't get the freedom that God is offering for us. And guess what? You are the ones God has been waiting for. You are the ones God wants to use to turn this world upside down. He is the one, you guys are the ones God wants to use to reach people that they can actually feel, oh my goodness, this love of God is real. It's not fake. It's not pie in the sky by and by. This is something really that's happening. God is changing people's lives one by one, and they're inviting me to come be a part. When you came to this church, when you came to Christ in general, you were looking for something. It was something in your life that you were missing or it was a conviction in your heart that, man, it got to be a better way to do this. It got to be a better way to live. And now that you're saved, God said that better way to live, what you're looking for, is the community of believers. The only question is, are we going to be brave enough to give ourselves to it? Right? It, it could be difficult, it could be hard, but... Y'all got a pastor who love the Lord. Y'all have a welcoming and warm church family. You got my man on the guitar getting down, right? You got the ladies up there, they can actually sing, right? You got the people working with the children. The children couldn't wait to go to children's church. So something going good, right? You have everything you need right here. The only thing, the question that you're going to have to ask yourself is, Am I willing to give myself to it? Right? The hurt may come. The misunderstandings may come. The offenses will come. Right? The, the, the arguments come at times. But it's nothing that the Lord can't see us through. If we commit it to ourselves and we commit to each other, what the Lord will do through city church, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard. Right? When I came in this morning, I saw this sanctuary. I was like, oh, this is tight. This ain't even the real sanctuary. The real one's over there. I said, man, that's even better, right? And so I was talking to my sister just now, and I was like, man, this reminds us of our church when it first got started. Now, our church was already established and everything like that. But when we first got there, it was maybe, what, 150, 200 people maybe, something like that. And so we would all be together. Everybody, kids knew everybody. Uh, I can name every member, put it like that. <laughs> and when I was thinking to myself before I got up to preach, I was like, man, I hope 
City Church realizes the blessing of this time. The time that you have right now to grow together, to build the foundations of City Church together is going to be what you remember 30 years from now. Our church went from 200, now it's over 2,000, right? Over the course of like 20 years though, let's put that in there. And so people oftentimes be like, oh man, you guys are so blessed, yada, yada, yada. And I think, yeah, that's all right. But what I really miss is C Street. What I really miss is that close, intimate connection that we have with each other because what we were committed to was each other and the mission. We threw all kind of crazy community parties. We went on the corners of Stockton and was just handing out free water on a hot day. And all these, me and my brother did a skit where we was drunk driving and died, trying to get people to, to come to Christ on a Halloween night, right? We did all these different things, but we did them together. And that's what built Progressive into what it is today. So, you all, are the foundation for what God is going to do through City Church. And you have to really understand, man, the way God is going to keep growing and keep adding to your number is how well are we loving each other. It was kind of like, man, in Progressive, we were, we didn't care about the outside. We were just worried about sister so-and-so, does she got to, something to eat this week? Is brother so-and-so's lawn getting mowed? He's getting up there in age. Let's go mow his lawn, right? Let's go make sure they got a meal, right? Oh, somebody died? Man, they got food for a month after somebody died. So many people pulled up, right? This little church. It's these little small things God is saying is important. Don't despise small beginnings because you don't know what God is going to build through you all, right? But the only way it's going to last is if y'all tight. If you love one another, right? So, the second, first one, he wants us to be like us. Second one is, he wants to reach the world through us. What does he say? May they also be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. You don't need Fancy evangelism strategies. God already gave it to you. What's God's strategy to reach the world? My people loving each other. That's it. You don't have to come up with fancy tracks. You don't got to be out there arguing with atheists. Right? All we really need to do is love each other. But guess what? It's easier for me to get a speaker and go out on the corner telling people they're going to hell than it is to love somebody in my own church. Because it doesn't take much for me to go out and be venomous and be mean and, and just beat people over the head with the gospel. It takes something for me to get up 8 a.m. on a Saturday because sister so-and-so need help moving and I got a truck. It, it takes something to get that car at 3 in the morning and brother so-and-so just had a heart attack. Can you go visit him? It takes something to say, you know what, man? Brother so-and-so came to church drunk today. I need you to go talk to him. Help him try to get into some counseling. And walk with him through that process. It takes something to really love people. 
And Jesus is saying, because of the love I've given you, I expect you to give it back to the body. Jesus is passionate about you and I because we're his. He died for us. Right? We're recipients of his grace. So if one of your members is in need, I really want you to think about this. Jesus is expecting you to go meet it. That's your brother. That's your sister. And anything you sacrifice to help them, Jesus is like, I'll give it back to you. But be there when they need it. Why? He saved us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. This, this being a Christian is a, is a global movement. We have brothers and sisters all over the planet. And the thing that's going to keep us united is this. Never lose track of our purpose. Never lose track of our mission. Right? What's our purpose? To win the loss for Christ. By any means necessary. We'll always have trouble as believers if we're not operating in our God-given purpose. For example, how many of you guys are married in here? Oh, it's a lot of you guys married up in here. All right. So you guys know what I'm talking about. The toughest time in my marriage is when I forgot the purpose of my marriage. What's the purpose of my marriage? To be happy. This brother said, no, brother. <laughs> he said, that's not it. So it's not to be happy. What's the purpose of my marriage? To love my wife like Christ loved the church. Right? To be faithful and to be sanctified through my marriage. So God is using my wife as a sharpening tool to make me the best man possible, be the man that he created me to be, right? So because of that, there's friction at times in marriage, right? You're an imperfect person, they're an imperfect person, you guys came together and expect perfection. It's like you guys are crazy, man. You guys are both jacked up. All right, so when I get caught up in the fact that my wife is jacked up <laughs> and she gets caught up in the fact that I'm jacked up, marriage starts to be a burden that you may not want to be a part of anymore. The saying, I could do bad all by myself, is true. But you're not going to accomplish God's purposes for your life by yourself. And so when I remember, oh snap, God is using my marriage to make me better, my wife's imperfections start looking a lot better. Because I'm saying, she puts up with a broken day on a day-to-day -day basis, right? She never poisons my food, she, she helps iron my clothes, right? We got two kids, so something's going right there. All this is happening, and because I'm, I'm losing focus on the purpose, I'm here mad at my wife. I'm in here unhappy with my wife. Bro, what is the purpose of marriage? You can be mad at your church, disillusioned with the church, but what's the purpose of your church? It's to love each other and bring other people in to be loved on too. So when somebody in the church frustrates you, you shouldn't be surprised 
They're jacked up. They needed a savior, just like you needed a savior. And because we got the savior, man, we could put up and forgive each other because God is doing it to us first. So, when there's issues, count it all joy, brothers. That's what James tells us. Because God is working out something in us. You guys give problems at the church, that means you guys are about to grow. Why else would God let stuff go bad unless he was trying to get you ready for something? Problems happen at church. Man, y'all must about to grow. It must about to get better. Why? Because God is working stuff out in us so that we could be ready when other sinful people come in and join the fold. It's not going to take us by surprise. We're not going to be with our noses all up in the air. We're going to say, come on in, brother. It's crazy stuff been going on for a long time. All right. All right. So finally, the last reason why God wants us to be unified is so that we can participate in his glory. As I said earlier, God is all about the glory. Now, we get glory for one or two things. You can either get glory for who you are or get glory for what you've done. God is so good. He is both. We glorify God for who he is. That's why we sing praises to his names. We, we magnify his attributes. But we also give God glory for what he's done. Yes. For being a way maker, for picking us up, turning us around. People get to yelling and stuff. That's the glory. And Jesus said, I could take all the glory for myself. But I don't want to do that. I want to share it with my followers. When people come and bring their life to, the, to God, Jesus says, I want my followers to have in on that. I want it to be because you invited them over for a meal. I wanted it to be because you invited them out to church. I wanted it to be because you showed them love and you talked to them when nobody else did. I want it to be because he was friendly to her or she was friendly to him or whatever. God says, man, when we are celebrating in heaven, I want you to be part of that reason. And the way that we can become a part of that reason on a more consistent basis is by our love for each other. God wants us to be glorious churches. Not just churches that people tolerate, that people say, yeah, they're all right. God wants people to be able to walk into our churches and say, man, what is different about them people? To come back a second and a third and a fourth time because they're trying to make sure it's just real. Do they really love each other like this? Do they really have each other's back like this? And for us to be able to like, yes. And it's because of no credit of our own. It's only because of the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus that we treat each other the way we do. So my encouragement to you, City Church, man, keep going. Keep loving. Keep forgiving. Keep showing up. No matter if it's one or, or 50 people, be there. Love on each other because you are the ones that are going to be the reason for many coming to know the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, I pray that we will hide it in our hearts, God. And I just pray for a special blessing on City Church, Lord. You know what's going on. You know why you had me come here and preach this message today. I pray for the growth, Lord, of this church, both spiritually and numerically. I pray for the leadership, God, the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few, Lord. So I pray that 
you will cause somebody in their heart to want to step up, to want to be that, that leader, to want to be that committed member that they know they need to be their Lord. I just pray that the love that's in this room today amongst this church family continues to spread and continues to grow. Lord, be with them, guide them, bless them abundantly, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.